0: Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through ConnectInvest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Think about public schools, fire stations, police stations. They've all got one thing in common. They house a community service. Not long ago, only about 30 years, another sort of community service sprang up the World Wide Web, and if you are a child anywhere in the world and you have access to the web, you can take college courses or you can watch YouTube videos about anything from doing origami to learning English. But now there's a tremendous and sometimes scary footprint on the web that comes from big countries and big companies with agendas that are not always clear to us there is an alternative though to the power of these Bigfoots, says scholar and journalist Nathan Schneider and it's a vision in which we're all owners of the really important web services the same way that we all support fire departments Schneider is a co-editor of the book ours to hack and to own and he's a scholar in residence at the University of Colorado Nathan welcome
1: thank you so much
0: So talk about what happened to the web. Um, I mean, it went from being kind of a community service, as I mentioned, to something as it's grown that's dominated by these platforms like Facebook and Twitter. And, And they're more like other big businesses, whether it's banking or food or whatever.
1: In some ways, yes, though I think it's important to recognize the role that these platforms are taking on. The Internet, I think, for a long time has been perceived as a kind of Cool toy that we use sometimes uh, to do certain things, and increasingly, I think what we're recognizing, what we're what we have to start recognizing, is that that this is. A public utility this isn't just the stuff that goes on the railroads the cargo that that uh, rides in the trains this is the railroads mm-hmm. this is akin to those uh, structures of the economy that in the late 19th century gave birth to antitrust law uh, you know they, they, they present such incredible opportunities for monopoly and control uh, that we really need to rethink them and and actually for the last 150 years uh, or more people have been developing more more democratic uh, business models for a lot of these kinds of of, uh, businesses. You know, a couple examples, uh, for instance, uh, are in in American agriculture. Farmers, especially small family farmers, depend on cooperatives uh, in order to participate in the global economy. These are absolutely vital. They power 75% of the uh, territory of the U.S. uh, uh, in terms of delivering electricity. And also in media, you know, We're in a moment of incredible media polarization, where media organizations that were once uh, trusted seem to be going off into partisan directions. One organization that hasn't done that is the Associated Press. It has retained a kind of center. And I think that's in large part, actually, because it was founded as a cooperative in 1846 and has Mm. been one ever since.
0: So do you think, um, okay, when you look at the Internet and the trajectory it's taken uh, in the last few decades, do you think something's going to change here? Much like, you know, you talked about the railroads. And at at some point, somebody's going to come in and say, we got to break these companies up like these people are getting too big. They've got too much power. They got too much money. We've got to change things. Or do you think, no, like this is going in a scarier direction where nobody's going to come and break anything up?
1: I think something is happening, you know, and I started seeing this around, you know, 2013-14 with the rise of that idea of the sharing economy, you know, and people got really into the idea that maybe we can share our cars and, and, and all these sorts of things. And then when people realized, oh, actually, this is just another kind of transactional business model that allows these companies to bypass labor laws and these sorts of things, I think people kind of realized in a new way what's going on here uh, and started realizing the ways in which their lives are being controlled controlled by forces that they, they don't really have a say in. And we're seeing this in all sorts of ways, in, in the, the way in which authoritarian governments are able to control the Internet, uh, the ways in which large companies are controlling more and more of the stuff that we use. You know, we used to keep a lot of files on our computers and run things locally. Increasingly, we're dependent on the cloud. And we're going to see that right. even more with the rise of artificial intelligence.
0: OK, so explain to me then what your vision is, um, and then we can talk about its chances for success.
1: Sure. I, I can start with some examples. For instance, here in Colorado, now, at least on paper, the largest taxi company in the state is called Green Taxi Cooperative. You know, these are taxi drivers who, on the one hand, were kind of pushed out by the high rates charged by the conventional taxi companies, but also uh, found themselves getting a raw deal on Uber and Lyft. And they found that the best thing that they could do for themselves, you know, these are not ideologues. These are intensely pragmatic, mostly first-generation African immigrants. They found that the best option for them was to create a cooperative and to build an app to reach uh, their own customers
0: and this, that's the biggest taxi company in Colorado like they do more rides than the conventional like yellow cab or than uber or whatever
1: well right now the largest in terms of numbers as taxi companies go in terms of the numbers of drivers, excuse number me, of drivers. Okay. it demonstrates how uh, 800 drivers in a you know medium-sized market, uh, uh, the largest block of drivers were willing to actually put in $2,000 each as an investment to self-fund this company uh, with the support of the Communication Workers of America and create a different kind of model for themselves.
0: I'm just going to stop with this example for a second because this is a good this is a good little case study. It's hard for me to believe that a sort of self-funded cooperative taxi company. Could have the same kind of firepower in terms of like marketing and um, getting the technical support. You know, I mean, obviously having an app and um, doing what Uber does or doing what anybody who does who has this sort of big, huge platform that you have to have a lot of coders working all the time, fixing problems because there are all the time. You're interacting with maps, at least on Uber you are. You know, you might have to have somebody in D.C. lobbying on your behalf. I mean, we're talking like a big corporate structure that benefits a company like Uber. How do you deal with that if you're like a little self-funded cooperative?
1: Well, that's a great question. And and I think uh, to understand that, it's worth looking at the um, examples that have already been built in previous generations of cooperatives. You know, I mentioned earlier the electric cooperatives that that bring electricity to 75% of the landmass of the United States. They have lobbyists in Washington. They have, you know, R&D arms uh, that do research and development for their cooperatives around the country. And then they have national organizations that that, uh, interact with government and have been an incredibly powerful force in American politics over the last century. So there are ways that even uh, networks of local uh, cooperative organizations can reach that kind of scale and be competitive. And when you look at the history of who built the cooperative enterprises that helped shape our country and the world, it's, there's an intensely pragmatic rationale that draws people into this kind of business model. You know, it cuts out middlemen left and right. It cuts out those big investors who demand huge profits that are driving inequality right now. You know, it just it's a kind of business that makes sense it's just one that we've overlooked in the development of the online economy so far you're
0: listening to Innovation Hub I'm Kara Miller talking with Nathan Schneider co-editor of the book ours to hack and to own we're talking about internet cooperatives and whether they're a possibility one fascinating example of a big company that is not quite succeeding I think you could argue it's in some ways uh, failing is Twitter now it's really popular. The president uses it clearly to, uh, to uh, great effect over the last uh, year plus. Um, and yet, the value of its stock has collapsed. It does not seem to be able to figure out, OK, we're, we're popular and we're used and we're looked at, but how do we monetize this? I mean, Facebook figured that out, but, but um, Twitter doesn't seem to have yet. Um, you have argued that the users of Twitter should maybe just buy it and own it cooperatively uh, how, how would that work, and like what made you think along those lines?
1: The idea became clear to me when I was watching these debates uh, uh, some time ago about who would buy Twitter you know would it be Salesforce would right. it be Disney or Google? and you know I'm a journalist by profession and and I, I rely on Twitter as an essential utility for my work, so many of us do and the idea of just kind of sitting by and waiting to see which uh, Wall Street behemoth would would buy this essential utility up and and bend it to its will just seemed kind of kind of sad. You know, at, at the same time, uh, a family member sent me an article about the Green Bay Packers, you know, and just reminded me of this model. You know, uh, it's not not a cooperative, but it's owned by the people in, in the community where the team plays. Hmm. Um, and it's really interesting. You know, What struck me was looking at a picture of the the Green Bay Packers stadium. It's so striking. Compared to any other stadium you've ever seen, it has almost no ads on it. Just a couple right by the scoreboard. And the ticket prices for the people sitting in those seats, you know, they're significant, but they're, they're pretty low by league standards and and that team has managed to stay in a pretty modest sized city rather than going off to a bigger market
0: so this is not a billionaire like a team owned by a billionaire as so many teams right okay
1: starting in the 1920s the team started selling ownership shares to its fans And as a result, the team has a business model that's aligned to serve the needs of the fans rather than just to produce profits. And when you look at something like Twitter and compare it, say, to a cooperative like the Associated Press, you know, Twitter is something that's providing an incredible service, something that you know people could pay for on one level or another, and there are a lot of different ways that this could that this could play out. You know, Associated Press is a model where the companies that that own it, that um, own shares in it, the media companies that use it, they don't own Associated Press in order to profit from it. They own Associated Press in order to gain a service from it right. and to make sure that it functions the way they need it to. And I think that's actually a more appropriate structure for what Twitter aims to be. You know, CEO Jack Dorsey has referred to it as a people's platform uh, and as a utility. So why not structure it that way?
0: What do you think it would lo- a sort of user-owned Twitter would look like for the people who are part of it?
1: I think in a lot of ways it would look pretty similar. You know, some people imagine like democracy or cooperatives in that involves like kumbaya and 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 decisions by consensus every every week for hours and hours. But you know, I'm a member of a credit union uh, uh, here that's a major mortgage lender in the region. You know, uh, you know, big organization. They don't call me up every few days to ask my opinion on decisions that they're making. No, they have professional managers uh, much as any other company does. The The difference is that I know that they... Are ultimately accountable to me and my fellow members, not to some outside uh, investors, and that they're going to build uh, uh, products and 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 tools and make decisions that are ultimately pretty much aligned with what I want them to to be doing. And and the same with Twitter. You know, I think a lot of us are really happy with what it is, and we of course like to see um, improvements over time, and that would be great. And and adaptation and innovation, but. I think the key thing is to make sure that this really important essential utility doesn't get swept away from us and captured by a, a small investor class that doesn't actually have the interests of the broader society necessarily in, uh, in mind. If you went
0: ahead, you know, not 30 years, but maybe just 5 or 10, what do you think is really going to happen with this movement of Um, having more cooperatives. Give me a sense of the way you really see things uh, unfolding.
1: Well, you know, as as uh, basically a, a reporter by trade, I try not to get into the business of prediction. But again, I think one can look at the legacies that we're building on and what has been built to have some sense of what might be built in the future. You know, for instance, when you look at the history of, of the online economy and of the Internet, one of the great stories has been the development of open source software that um, began really at the very beginning, you know, people just trading around code and uh, sharing uh, sharing their programs with each other to improve them, and then they had to build a kind of legal structure that created a counterpower to uh, the big corporate uh, software makers. Initially, companies like IBM and Microsoft uh, uh, were were. Dead against uh, open source development and resisted it at every turn and ran commercials against it. And now a lot of them are actually building their business models mm-hmm. around open source software. And And this is the stuff that runs most of the Internet now. And, uh, you know, this stuff has really changed the world in a way that these companies didn't expect. You know, that kind of goes against one's sense of, of who's in charge and how power is taking shape around us. You know, and I think that cooperative models their time has come on the internet. There's come a time where people are recognizing that we can't go the way we're going anymore. We can't allow more centralization, more consolidation, and more monopolization. Um, Instead, we need to find models that really live up to the promise of what the internet was supposed to be, a way of connecting people, a way of freeing people, a way of allowing people to more fully participate in the world in which they live. Nathan Schneider
0: is a scholar in residence at the University of Colorado. He's a co-editor of the book, Ours to Hack and to Own. Nathan, thank you so much.
1: Thank you.